Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books they say we're supposed to read before we die and decide if they're worth your time. I'm Nicole, and I love Harry Potter and historical fiction and fantasy. And I'm Chelsea, and I'm always down for a good book that will make me cry. Harry Potter as well. And lately, I have been on a memoir of semi-famous people kick just because they're light and easy. Oh, that's, those are fun. Those are yeah. really light books. Um, before we get into our book 18 for this week, what else have you been reading lately? I am currently listening to Emerald Green by Kirsten Gear. It is the third in a series that starts out with Ruby Red, Sapphire Blue, and then Emerald Green. It's a trilogy. Um, it's a young adult lit. I think it was originally published in, I want to say German, um, but it's a time travel story, which is pretty cool. And so it's about this girl who gets these time traveling powers. It's kind of just light and fluffy, but I really like the narrator of the um, audiobook. And so I've listened past the first book just because I enjoy her voice. Hmm. Um, and yeah, now I'm almost done, so I might as well finish. I think I have an hour left in the audiobook. So, oh, is it like a young adult? Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I, the thing I've read most recently is uh, A Crooked Kingdom by Lee Bardugo, which is the second book in like of Six of Crows, is the first one, which I also talked about on here. And this is, it seems like it's just going to be a set of two, not a trilogy. And it had a very satisfying conclusion, which is not book. always the case. And so, uh, I still highly recommend this like duo. Lee Bardugo, that series is a young adult book but avoids many of the young adult book tropes yes that's definitely true um yeah in the way like the love stories in it and the yeah. action yeah she definitely avoids them and i want to read her other books now for sure yeah i think i i have the first one sitting on my shelf that doesn't mean much because there's many books sitting on my shelf but i will get to it one day I feel like we should do a mini-sode where we read, like, the most obscure, each of us, the most obscure book that we own that we haven't read. That's, like, the, been on the shelf the longest or just is the weirdest, yeah. you know? And then we talk about them. And make <laughs> figure out how to, uh, what we're going to read with that. That was a bad sentence. Um, <laughs> and see what we still think of a book that's been there for that long. Right. And it, did we, was it worth the saving how many years we held it on our bookshelf yes. or not? Fair warning, listeners. It has been, whew, a week. Words are going to be hard tonight. Words hard. Yes. <laughs> also, when we were reading this book, we both were really sick um, the entire time that we were reading it, and yeah. we have just now recovered. And so I think we exchanged germs while recording the podcast, the last episode, unfortunately. Uh, so that's the first casualty of this podcast, <laughs> our health for one, oh. one weekend. Um, and so, but the book that we were sick while reading is called Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light by Ivan Klima. And he's a Czech writer. This was originally published in 1993 and translated into English in 1994. And it was just a little over 200 pages. So again, one of our most recent novels is the ones we've listened One of the to. most recent. And the, our first uh, first Czech novel I've ever read in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. So it... It was interesting. It was a thing. We will get a little more into it in a second. But if you had to give it one word to describe this book, what would you say? My word is failure. Not because the book is a failure, but because the main character, I think, is the epitome of what it means to be a failure at life on like every level of that sentence. Um, <laughs> my one book is kind of a cop. One word is kind of a cop out. It is communism. <laughs> 
Ah, yes. Yet another book about communism. (laughs) Apparently, communism was a big thing, guys. And and I yeah, and there was a lot of literature written about it that was repressed. Yeah, that's what I'm getting from our podcast. (laughs) So our quick plot for this novel is Pavel is a disillusioned movie maker in communist Czechoslovakia during the Velvet Revolution. Um, Before we get into spoilers, though, maybe we should explain what the Velvet Revolution is. I know you did a little bit of reading. Yes. So on the back of this book, it talks about the author who is Czech and was alive during this time period. And so it talks about him. And then I was like, I need to know, understand something about Czech history in order to read this book. So before I even started it, I um, read the one, the Wikipedia article on on both the, the, uh, I think the first one is called the... Prague Spring and then the Velvet Revolution and so basically Czechoslovakia was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire before World War One and then after World War One it became its own country Czechoslovakia and then then they were the only democratic country um, in that part of Europe in in between the war period and then World War Two happened they're controlled by Germany the war ends russia is the one who like liberates that part of the world um in 1946 they elect communist um leaders in a democratic election and then it becomes a one-party state um and then so then so it's like a one-party state they're behind the iron curtain right and then in the 60s and 70s there was like lots of protests and non-violent movie movement which the author was one of the leaders of to become to open to the west and have more freedoms um but it but it wasn't successful basically because russia invaded and put it down under Mm -hmm. the guise of saying oh they're being hurt by outsiders but actually it was the local people who were um rebelling non-violently and then in 1989 when when the ussr was starting to like crumble and stuff um there was again like a huge wave of protesting um and they in the velvet revolution and then they like became free and became a democracy and then sometime after that in our lifetime they broke off and became the czech republic and slovakia Uh, so this is kind of set in that period like the few months leading up in 1989 to the um like changeover the fall of communism Mm -hmm. in the czech republic and then uh and then after that a little bit after that and it kind of has some flashbacks to right yeah the what's the one that was 20 years before the the, prague spring the prague spring so because the character in the novel He's like middle aged, yeah. So he was, was young involved in, in the, the Prod Spring, was young, and then now during the Velvet Revolution, is seeing it as well okay. in his middle age. Yes. So okay, so that's kind of the historical context, which I thought was really interesting. But from here going forward, consider this your spoiler alert. We're going to get into the details of the plot. Uh, if you want to, if you want to read this first, you can skip ahead to after our discussion, and the times will be in the show notes. Perfect. So I mean, getting into the plot a little bit more. Um, this man, Pavel. He is also second main character named Pavel we've had so far. Um, he is a movie maker, but he's basically making movies for the communist. Right, government. he works for like a propaganda, basically. Yeah. Um, because it's all the movies that'll get published. So he is video recording things for the government, and so he ends up getting to do some recordings for the president as he goes through his resignation. Um, and the communism, end of communism, and he goes from getting to have only things that have been approved go on television to now, like, it's right. free for all media. Um, but 
And I that's think, not the main point of him, though. Yeah, and so like, I think the main point is that when he's in middle age now in mm-hmm. 1989, when he was young, he tried to escape um, because there's no travel. No yep. one's allowed to travel outside the country. And he tries to escape and he gets caught. He goes to prison. And then when he gets out, he like just feels like, well, I can't make the films I want to make, but I have to. I, I don't want to stop filming things. And then he starts making propaganda. So then when it's ending, when the communist regime is falling, it's like he's always said, oh, finally, when we're free, I'm going to make real movies the things I want to make but then he doesn't yeah and he um he also kind of I think it's a trend not in all of our novels but in some has kind of like that fever dream wish fulfillment going on too in sections of this book where it's um, talking about his imagined like masterpiece film, yeah. So he's or it, some. It'll more than one yeah, plot point, but it'll switch back and forth between like his narrative, what's happening in the present, and then a section of chapters that have film at the top, and yes. then they they are about like the storyline of his you know dream screenplay that he's writing as a reactionary to what he's experiencing in his life but they're like very similar and it's basically just wish fulfillment um and honestly it made the plot hard to follow yeah because it's basically him but it's not him and then so then things were happening and i'd be like is this real life and i'd have to like double check am i in a film section or am i yeah in a not and i i'm gonna say i didn't like the f- film sections at all i thought they were really like stupid um because the thing is that what he was writing i just feel like wouldn't actually make a good film no. because it was so wordy and descriptive and it was just and it wasn't like i could show this it was like you can't make a film all about the thoughts in someone's head without because them saying out loud that's why books work. are better than movies. right so it just felt like He's not a filmmaker. <laughs> He's not a good filmmaker well, to me and, as the reader. Yeah, and he um, he's very this throughout this whole plot. Like, I don't feel like he's a very likable character. Yeah. Um. So he makes some really questionable choices. Um. In terms of the women, he the way he treats the women he is with, and the way he interacts with others around him, and um, it just. He's not super likable, and on top of that, the book is hard to follow. So talking yeah. about the plot point, or not the plot point, the structure structure of this novel, again, there are chapters, but I don't know how damn hard it is to put, like, three dots when you're changing time periods. Yeah, because a lot of it, it's very much his, like, stream of consciousness when it's not, even when it's not the film, when it's just his head. So to, he'll be like thinking about the film or thinking about something in his past and it just changes and you have no idea. Yeah. Um, and it takes like a paragraph for you're like, yeah. Oh, we're not in the present anymore. Yeah. It was so confusing that there were parts in the book where I was like, I can't remember what this guy's name is. That was yeah. happening. And I, and I was sick when I was reading it. And so I would just kept thinking, am I just more sick than I think? Cause I cannot follow this. Well, and I was <laughs> like, have I just like, Am I still concussed? Have I drank too much booze in my lifetime? Like, why is my memory not good enough for this novel? Yeah. And I was convinced I was going to see Nicole today, and she was going to be like, no, it was so easy. But no, you had the same feeling. Same experience. Absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah. So that's the structure. So I feel like the structure made it complicated to, like, really, like, dig into it. Yeah, it did. And I just, again, I, I know I harp on this, but I don't know why smart books. We've read a lot of, like, quote unquote smart books now mm-hmm. I don't understand why structurally putting some separation between present and past or like real story and ideation or 
is not something that we structurally do in our novels. I think it's because a lot of books that end up being smart books, like like quote unquote smart books, it's because they're rebelling against the structure and that's why critics, that's why they're like critical darlings. Um, and so even if it makes them less accessible to your average reader, and we're not even your average reader, we read a shit ton. Like yeah. we read so much. Um, I feel like we're not someone who only picks up five novels a year, right? But And they, we still feel like that's hard to access. But I think that's why they become... Yeah like the critics like them because they're innovative even though those innovations we don't feel like pay off (laughs) I just don't think it's worth it I just like some page breaks so so yeah so that's like the structural issues then I want separately um what you're saying about the character this is more about like the purpose and the tone of the novel being unlikable the reason that I said failure is my one word description is because um this guy like he when he's young he's idealistic he tries to escape the comment like the iron curtain and then he fails and so then he basically just gives up he starts making propaganda and he's kind of doing sad like we all hope that we would be the person in that situation of oppression to rebel no matter what the cost but the reality is is that the vast majority of people would be the ones to conform as much as necessary to survive but there's nothing heroic about him at all Mm. um and and it's like very natural to dislike him for that but I think he's doing what most people would do under those circumstances and in fact what most people did because it was communist in Europe for 40 years right and it Mm -hmm. was a constant rebellion because you have to do you have to do survive but in literature we usually see we want to see the best of humanity Mm -hmm. and this book does not show you that at all it kind of shows you humanity just at its like a level of indifference I don't know that, that and then it made me think about like we feel like, oh, all these books are about communism. And a lot of these books, I think, do have the same themes about human. They're all trying to say something about human nature and the meaning of life and purpose. And I think that fundamentally, most of the books we read for the podcast are about freedom mm-hmm. and what it really means to be free and like make the most of your life. I kind of, yeah, I would agree with that. And I don't necessarily have a problem with him being like not an anti-hero but kind of an anti-hero he's not like a hero of the story but I did have a problem with just how he just didn't care really it was just very like yeah level that's what I mean that he's like the biggest failure ever not because not only is he working for the like government that is bad? He's failing his own ideals, uh-huh. right? He set up his own standard for what his beliefs were when he was young, and then he fails them repeatedly. And when he has the chance, when the communism falls, he still stays mediocre. Yeah, I don't necessarily <laughs> feel like he was a failure for giving up his ideals. Because I think that has a lot to do with wanting to stay alive and like how do you really process yeah. if things are bad. But I was really disappointed that then he didn't take that opportunity because he was the person who filmed the president doing their removal. And so he really, in theory, should have – he had all this opportunity to – like use that and then continue the momentum and he chose not to. Right. And the whole book, he's like, oh, what if when the communism falls, they think I'm one of the bad guys. I got to do things to make sure they know I'm on their side, the good side. But he doesn't, he doesn't do anything to make that happen. Uh, and I, it's just like, it's so like pathetic, but it's totally like what you can't even say you wouldn't do that yourself. So yeah. it's like, I dislike him because he's his personality is saying something about me that I don't want to have to yeah, think about. Yeah, I think right? that that's more. Yeah, uh, and because and so, 
I don't know because it's because I like I just feel like you know most you most people wouldn't want to fail in that way of failing on their ideals. I might also land on that strongly because I'm an ENFJ and like the one of the main things about that personality mm-hmm. type is that um, it's very very important that we're living up to your internal code of ethics. Uh huh. And that's like the most that's like everything in life is about that and that what you secretly want the most in, in the world is to like sit down with a friend and get to tell them about all the ways you're trying to save the world right then Uh (laughs) because there's always a lot and it's so true for me and so I think people failing to live to their internal ethics is like one of the worst things that someone can do in my eyes yeah I mean even though I get why he did it but it's I still don't like it. Yeah, I think it says I don't something think I bad about strongly me. about you. Like. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have as strong of a reaction. Um, but I didn't like him, so I still kind of had that feeling where I was just like, uh, uh, yeah. "What is he? Why is he living his life this way?" Also, he kind of was a terrible human yeah. to people he loved in his life. Yeah, so there's a part where it's like kind of in the film section and kind of in his real life, and it was hard for me to distinguish who the woman actually was. But at one point yes. when he's young, after he gets out of prison, he is seeing a woman, and she gets pregnant, and then he gets the opportunity to go to Mexico for work, which is uh-huh. a big deal because he would never be allowed to travel. And he goes there, and then he gets a call from her mother that she's in the hospital, like she's miscarrying, and he and he says, oh, you, should I come back? And the mom's like, yeah, you should probably come back. Uh-huh. And then he just doesn't. Yeah. And then when she he comes back a month later, she breaks it off with him because who wouldn't? Because that's a really shitty says, thing to do to someone. At one point, he's like, I'm here now. And she's like, I don't need you now. I needed I need you a month ago. Yeah. Um. So he's not great to her. He's not great to his current love interest. Mm-hmm. So he's in a weird triangle in the book where he um, is with a woman who is divorced but still living with her ex-husband. Um. But he doesn't stay there and he doesn't want to commit to her and he doesn't really want to be with her. He just is. And then he also is in love with a woman named Alice from back before he was arrested when he was idealistic and a part of the spring. And it seemed like she was the woman who had who lost the baby in real life. But was then he always, she though? I don't know because it was Alice and then Albina in the movie section. But he, and he'd like remember Albina. But I was like, is that a nickname well, for Alice? Because then they specifically talk about that they didn't. They almost had a child together. And well, and then he calls her, and in other sections he calls Allie, her Allie. And both of them, yeah. So I think that that character and Alice are one and the same. Yeah. Oh, maybe I don't think I even caught on that. Yeah. The see, it's just this book. Whoa, 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 wine. <laughs> Sorry, the kitten almost. Yeah. The kitten almost caused a tragedy with some wine on the couch. <laughs> so the woman that he's seeing now, Ava, um, when the communism falls, she like gets back together with her husband and, and basically is like empowered to be like, I'm nothing to you. I'm just a woman to, woman to sleep with twice a week, and I don't need that in my life. Uh-huh. And there's a section where he says, um, um, let's see, what is she hoping for? What did she expect the altered circumstances would bring for her and him? What could she possibly understand of these events? Perhaps he was simply rebel- repelled by an emotion in her which was not occasioned by him. Yeah. All women to this man are just foils for him. And in this book, the way they're written, for him to say his thoughts out loud. Yeah. The women in this book are written very badly. Like, And there's also, have you seen that thing on Twitter recently that's like, 
writing yourself the way a male author would write you where it's like oh no I walk down the stairs very aware of my breasts and then I my nipples you know like like feel the silk of my shirt like the way that horrible male uh-huh. authors write and this book has some lines like that that are like oh. um let's see if I can find I haven't seen that meme but now I'm gonna have to google it's it. really funny um and it feels very true let's see it's one of these pages that I turned down stop it kitten um <laughs> he watched her half exposed breasts the breasts he had touched so often he reached for her and took her in his arms like it's just and it's just like like so um, so much unnecessary like yeah. descriptions like that and well, i don't know and i feel like it's the author not the character i like i think it's the way it's written. well and i mean if you think about this if you this novel um which you'll see in our picture on our social media um and in the little thumbnail here is the photo on the cover is a naked butt yeah, there's naked butt on the front, the back, the side, side. one naked butt all over um, it. And it's, I, for a moment, was really excited and maybe thought it was going to, it's a person with like a short haircut. It was like, maybe it's like about like, um, uh, like LGBTQ, like oh, yeah. LGBTQ story during communism. No, it's a woman on the cover, which I don't know why that's disappointing to me. Um, Do you think there's going to be any LGBTQ story is like in this on this book list i don't know because recently i feel like i've come across more of those kind of love stories in ya novels and it's like really refreshing and i like reading them yeah um but i that's probably only in the last year up uh, before that i don't know if i ever read a well-written not stereotypical lesbian or gay relationship in anything ever i wonder if we don't find any we should kind of look for one ourselves that we could yeah, add pitch it to put um, it on the list yeah but anyway so this cover for literally no reason has a naked woman on it yeah i don't even it's not even like about a woman like if there's a bunch of women in it yeah yeah i don't really get the cover i hadn't thought about that at all um but yeah i maybe it's because in his films and his imagination he, it's like this idealized woman that he's never can make himself worthy of i don't know i don't yeah i don't really get the cover hmm which i mean the cover was designed by someone not the author yeah yeah but i just am still not i don't get it i also teach elementary school and so when i took this book to school to finish it today i had to cover the cover (laughs) with post-it notes um because clearly it was not pg and I just thought that that was so ridiculous because it's not even a dirty book. Like, like that line you read about the breasts is literally the dirtiest thing in the book. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It, that is really strange. I hadn't put any thought into that, but it's very strange. So yeah. yeah. I also, um, something that I thought was interesting in this book was, um, the president character and how, so he's like the long, long time communist president mm-hmm. of the Czech of Czechoslovakia. And how when they were doing internal monologues of his head, it was like he had done this because he thought he was gonna give his people freedom. Yeah. Was why he had started. And then he eventually stepped down um peacefully because it's clear that he didn't do his job, so it was someone else's turn. Right. And I loved how they said that when a new president, a Democratic president, was in office, they said the only thing him and the old president had in office is that they both served time in prison. So it was like both of them had been freedom fighters in their time. 
but for but different it meant causes. different things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, the president was supposed to be crazy. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because he was old and senile, and he would see the like hallways of the palace filled with bodies of uh-huh. people who had died because basically because of him. I which that is dark. <laughs> yeah, that is dark. So so it was, and this was in the film section. So it was how Pavel was imagining the mm-hmm. president was like his internal life. But it was basically he was imagining that he was haunted by all the evil he had done yeah um, and also currently very racist yeah the n-word was used in this book too many times it was and um, (laughs) unnecessarily and um when there were like two or three instances where there was a character of color um and it was always i don't think there was any racist mentioned besides it was like leaders of african countries coming to visit um and they were spoken about pretty racistly. Yeah. Like, even aside from the N-word, like, oh, I have to go meet with this black man. Like, it was or, like... Yeah, or he thinks that he has something to offer us, you know? Yeah, it was yeah. really, like, odd. Which, yeah. I mean, I guess... Um, it doesn't in- necessarily mean that the author is racist. It might have been pointing out how racist inherently enclosed societies are. Yeah, because it's closed, um, yeah. But it just felt uncomfortable. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, I feel like people probably use the N-word more in 1989 everywhere than they use it mm-hmm. now. So it's a good thing we're not using it now as much. But it's just so, like, other books where I've seen that have been about, like, the Civil War era. And even then, I don't like reading it, you know? But it's like, oh, it's, this is Huckleberry Finn or whatever, you know, for a famous one that has the N-word And, like, if, you, if it wasn't in there, it wouldn't have... It would have taken away some of the power because it had the contextual, like... Right. It but would this is have just been like, watering this is, down racism that you need to hear. Right. But this is just like, oh, yeah, people yeah. in the 20th century still think, thought like this. People still think like this now. As, um, which I feel like was not nothing to do with the point of the book, but I still found it I, I thought it was interesting, too, because, yeah, I, I guess any time I've read that word, I'm always very aware of it. And if I'm going to be aware of it, I want to feel like it's for a purpose. Like mm-hmm. I'm gaining something from it being there. Like I'm understanding that this is inherently an, an evil way of talking about people because yeah. it's pointing that out to me in a way I can't ignore. Yeah. So I feel like if you're going to use hateful language or hateful um, invectives, like it's to teach people, not just in casual <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Like Chelsea's cat is climbing all over me and putting her tail like in my mouth <laughs> and the microphone. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, it's, it's still jarring even this many books in to read casual racism. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. The, so one thing I liked about this book is it was like a part of history that we never, I never learned about. Cause I feel like we were born in 1988. And so mm-hmm. it was like, this was like, too recent for us to learn about in school but now it's not so recent you know um and also that the way we learn about communism in america like is we like, realized biased, is really bad is and stuff <laughs> but it's interesting because whenever you read any book set in like a behind the iron curtain country in europe in the 20th century some of the stuff about like he goes to a factory that makes explosives and there is equipment that exists that could do it without a human having to stir the explosive stuff. Um, but they don't do that. They just have people stirring it who get paid well. And then occasionally they blow up and all die like hundreds of people at a time. And there's no rules about it. Um, and it's not like that can't happen in a capitalist society. Certainly corporations have to be held to account and yeah. that if they aren't like they will always try cut corners if there aren't laws to prevent it, I mm-hmm. think. But the, um, 
when everything is owned by the state, it also like doesn't work, you know, yeah. and it just like and it had to be full employment. Right. So they couldn't have the technology that would make it safer. Uh, I just think it's it feels so dystopian, but it mm-hmm. it's like it really, really happened. happened and it happened like in a period that we were like born into. Yeah. You know? And and I just but it feels like so far away that you just want to be like, that can't be how it was like. But I read too many things to say that it really that was, it was like, like that. that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And it. Yeah, it just makes me feel really weird and, like, disillusioned. <laughs> when that happens. Yeah. So, I mean, well, the Soviet bloc was broken, so there's that. Yeah, and yeah, so it's not like that anymore. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to say. I was talking to my boss about this book. He saw me reading it in the lunchroom, and and I was saying how, like, all the countries that were behind the Iron Curtain, like, you know, became free in, like, the 80s and 90s, right? And so they're only, like... 30 or 40 mm-hmm. years old under their current regime yeah. right um and yet i feel like that we think of them as like very modern democracies they're in the eu they're you know uh-huh. they're civilized but african countries that became countries maybe in like the 50s and 60s we and 70s we of. still say things like well they're a new democracy mm-hmm. which is which i just like that's so racist and, and com- until i compared it to how we think about i don't ever think about the czech republic as a struggling country no even though in our lifetime, it wasn't they a had a revolution, yeah. right? But in our lifetime, South Sudan became a country and they're at war, right? Yeah. But we, and then, but it's like, it is racially driven the way we think about that. Um, this book is not about that, but it made me think about it. That's really, inter- I didn't <laughs> think about that either. I did, there were a couple of things I thought were interesting quote wise in this novel. One that I really liked um, was, most people can't imagine a life that is any different from the one they are actually living. They can dream about it. They can even go into the streets and demonstrate for it, but they still can't imagine what it would be like. And I think that that, um, speaks a lot to, like, I just felt like that, like that's a human survival mechanism. Yes. Like you can want something you can like crave it you can work for it but your body doesn't really know what it's gonna be like because it's like I have to survive what I have now yeah and and I feel like you automatically are doing like mental work to assure yourself that your life is good the way it Mm -hmm. is even when it's terrible even if you were like in an abusive situation I feel like in your mind you might be like justifying it because you have to survive day to day and because changing it is really hard and painful and scary mm-hmm. and d- maybe dangerous, you know, um, getting out. And so, yeah, so I feel I wrote I marked that quote, too, because I think it is true. And it also makes me think of how um, sometimes like when there's protests, uh-huh. there's no there's not a shared agenda about what you're trying to get out of the government when you're protesting. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't lead to any change because you need to pair like protesting and direct action and nonviolence with, with, and we want this specific policy aim. And then the government enacts that policy aim um, to be effective, to yeah. cause real change. But sometimes you're just protesting because I don't like things the way they are, but you don't have, you can't even imagine the way you want them to be because mm-hmm. you can only think of your life the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really powerful. Mm-hmm. I also, I think that that is interesting in tangent or in connection with um, when he's explaining his novel title or his movie title to the imaginary character of Albina, Almi, I don't know. Albina. Alice. No, he's explaining it to Alice, I think. Uh-huh. Um, it's called, the quote, it's a conversation. What is it called? Waiting for the dark, waiting for the light. Waiting for the dark, she repeated. That's it. 
And waiting for the light? What are you waiting for now? It made sense to make the film when it couldn't be made, but it doesn't make sense to make it now. And so it was like, he could daydream and want to make it when he couldn't really see it happening. But then the second he has the opportunity, he like didn't know that he wouldn't want to make it. I don't know. It was a very like yeah. spirally kind of thought thing that I had when I read that. And I was like, I just don't necessarily agree yeah. with him there. Well, yeah. Well, it's like he doesn't. I think fundamentally people are responsible for their own happiness and like only mm-hmm. you can seek to make the changes in your life to make you happy. Only you can identify when you're unhappy. But he just I feel like he, he's very entitled yeah. and he just thinks that it should be handed to him. Mm-hmm. It should be handed to him whether he's like gets to keep his job or loses it when the communist regime falls. It should be handed him that he has money to make the films that he wants to make. People should recognize his genius. Mm-hmm. Like, and which is another reason why he's so dislikable because he's so, he, I think he fund, he's fundamentally very arrogant and like in his like masculinity, like yeah. it's a very like patriarchal idea. Um, and yeah, and I, yeah, and so it's just like, he's like, well, I, I, it helped me get through it. I had the idea in the communist time, but now, whatever. Yeah, I don't need it <laughs> now. I'm here. It's not admirable. It's, it's not admirable. Yeah. So I don't know. All right. I, I don't know if I have anything else to say, really. Yeah. I guess um, the interesting thing about this book is that I did not enjoy reading it. Not the structure was like annoying, but that wasn't really a reason. It was, just, I just found it really depressing mm-hmm. um, because, it made me think a lot about how all the books are reading for the podcast are like trying to say something fundamental about the like human condition. And it seems like if you add all these 18 now and a thousand eventually books together, we're going to get this like cohesive thing that people mm-hmm. are trying to say. And it's interesting to hear people try to say the same point about the meaning of life from all these different cultures. But this author particularly seemed to err on the side of not nihilism, but like, negativity yes exactly and so it just was it wasn't fun to read even though I was like oh I have lots of things to say about it you know which makes me torn of if I think it should be a book that people have to read before they die or not because it is good and it was interesting to read something by a Czech author which I'd never done before and we did have a good conversation about it and I I wouldn't say like other books that we've been on the line about we're just like uh it's just like I don't really feel that way about this book I Mm -hmm. feel like it is important well, I and I know. do think there's something to be said for it's an own voices story. Right. Like, so, yeah. I do really like yeah. that's weighing heavily into my decision because I think that um, it's about an experience that we can't ever have. Um, like, I've never, knock on wood, going to live in a communist regime um, and experience the fall into it and the escape from it. And so it's not an experience that I'm capable of accessing. And I did feel like the character's emotions and the way it was told made me capable of accessing that a little bit, like Mm. at least looking at it. Um, I think my problem is that I haven't because of our really whitewashed U.S. history courses, I haven't read enough things from authors from formerly communist nations since their release from communism, which I'm sure there's a decent amount out there. Sure. Um, I mean, it's been 30 years at this point. I'm sure there's published works. I haven't read enough to know that this is representative of that genre. That's true. I was trying to find there's a line in here about how everyone who's in the film industry is is like a traumatized person Mm -hmm. 
And so I think that's like true of the author is that like he we lived in this like transformative time through this whole like cycle of history uh-huh. and um and you can see it in the way he writes it like I, I agree like that's what makes it own voices that yeah. his own like he, maybe this is how he's processing his experiences mm-hmm. in that time period because it's only this came out in 1993 the so it was only 30 was years after he had yeah. it or 20 years no not even four years four years well he was around um he was a leader during the spring yes but then he was so still was alive four, he's yeah. still alive now and so then he and he was and his writing was banned in Czechoslovakia mm-hmm. up until like after the revolution the 89 yeah. one so it was all but it was only four years after the events in this book took place yeah so that's really quick that's and I wonder like he's written a bunch of other books and if he wrote another book about this period now it probably would be different because mm-hmm. he would have more time to process it and change yeah. yeah so I don't so I'm conflicted as per usual <laughs> right me too uh, I guess I would say, I guess we don't know if it's representative. Okay, I think I know what my answer is. Are you ready? <laughs> I guess I'm ready. Uh, okay, go with ready? your gut. One, One two, two, three, three yes. yes. We agree. So I feel like even though we don't know if this is representative of, of this like genre and type location and stuff mm-hmm. and time period, I feel like this book while depressing and and I felt dark for me um I think it says something interesting about like living in a society when it goes through a huge upheaval Mm -hmm. yeah I also think and about like the fundamental need for humans to be free and how our definition of what that means changes I also think that similarly to Pavel's letters it was interesting to read about communism from someone who had some actual experience with communism yeah um because that's not something we get here. Um, we're not real good at that in U.S. history. So I do like that. I thought it was a broadening of what I knew and what I was exposed to. So, All right. So that wraps up our discussion boop, on boop. Waiting for the Dark, Waiting for the Light. A very long title. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so for our next um, segment, we... Previously, you've heard me pitch a book that I think should be on the list um, that even though it's not officially on the 1001 books to read before you die list that we think it should be. And so now Chelsea's going to pitch me a book that she thinks should be on there. Yes. And this is the segment that was lost before that we mentioned in our Age of Innocence episode. So we are re-recording it. I get a second attempt to yeah. convince Nicole um, of why my book should be on the list. And the book that I chose is is The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak. So, The Book Thief by Marcus Zusak is literally top three favorite books for me, probably. Um, it is a novel that is told from the really unique perspective viewpoint of death. Um, and he's looking down um, on World War II, but also in particular the life of one little girl, Liesel. Um, and how she is making it through World War II and um, the family in Germany that she is living with and um, the Jewish man that they hide in their basement and all this, um, just looking at these experiences. And I think that this book is so unique in its viewpoint. I think that it's so lovely in the way that it connects to... um, people on like a really like deep level. I also love the prose in this book. I 
could literally just quote pretty much every page, but I won't. <laughs> um, but I am going to quote a few things because they, I these phrases, there's things in this book that I just think back on all the time, um, even though... I read this book so long ago. Uh, so I, I speak so far. Uh, you, the um, the book thief is your, according to our one of our first episodes where we listed our top five books. It's your fourth pick. Um, oh, where was it? Yeah, what they, was it under? Um, number one, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Number two, Harry Potter. Three, To Kill a Mockingbird. Four, The Book Thief. And five, Ender's Game. I mean, To Kill a Mockingbird and The Book Thief probably flip flop a lot. Depending on what I feel like you may have actually said it out loud different than that list that we wrote. Yeah, down I feel like I change the order of the list pretty much any time I talk about it's it. It's funny. The book I picked, The Age of Miracles, I also put in my top five. I didn't even realize that. It's because they stick with us. They're I important know. to and us. Other than Harry Potter, all the books I put on my list, I only read once. But I like, and some of them like in high school, and I still like they're still the ones that I think about the most. Yeah. Also, I've, it might be partly because I was reading. Now I get through more books than I did then, you know? So yeah. I, so I would like, when I don't sit in books as long, mm-hmm. but I did then. Yeah. Um. So here's one quote that I really love. I wanted to tell the book thief many things about beauty and brutality, but what could I tell her about those things that she didn't already know? I wanted to explain that I am constantly overestimating and underestimating the human race, that rarely do I ever simply estimate it. I wanted to ask her how the same thing could be so ugly and so glorious, and its words and stories so damning and yet so brilliant. Like, damn. That is a great quote. He's just so good. It makes me think about how, like, we tell the we every culture is storytelling and it's yeah. ways because we need that to live. If and, we don't tell just, stories our or our our own and others. We don't survive. It just That's a cool is. Idea. It's just such the way that the novel is told because it's told from the viewpoint of death and he's kind of looking down and he's talking about all these things he sees and how he can't. Um, he can't speak to these people, but he's just seeing them and he's just observing and noticing what's going on. I just, I just love it. I, I can't, there's not even words to explain um, why. And then my final like favorite thing is that the first book, the first page of the book, these aren't spoilers, it's just quotes. So the first page book of the book says, here's a small fact, you are going to die. And then the very last line of the book is, a last note from your narrator. I'm haunted by humans. And I just think that like they're lovely bookends like that we're all going to die and we all have to deal with our morality, mortality, not our morality, that too. Also that. <laughs> um, our mortality in different ways. Um, but I enjoy the imagery of like death personified, like being haunted by what we've experienced and lived as well I like that like mental imagery I don't know I love this book Nicole is not as sold I mean I like it I like it so the first time I read this book is probably because you recommended it to me I couldn't get into it I didn't finish (sighs) it and then I came back to it like maybe three or four years later probably get on your recommendation Uh and I and I did read it and I liked it and I mean I like World War II fiction um and it was good, like, and I get why people like it, but I think I was just like, yep, it's not the best World War II book I've ever read. Oh, God. Uh, I don't love it as being the best World War II book. I just love it. And I think it, it is how... a really unique idea, the narrator being death, and I totally agree with all the things you said, but it's just, it's not like, 
Yeah. I don't think about it. <laughs> you know? I do. I think I mean, about maybe if it I gave so it a much. reread, it's possible. Have you read the book that I picked pitched to be on the list yet? No, no. I have not. <laughs> I have also, not I haven't read brought it to you tomorrow. So. I literally, we are talking now and I'm only half attuning to what we're saying because I'm looking through the pages of this book and I oh, just. Yeah. Also, tell the listeners how many copies of this book you own and why you have the different versions. Well, I have three. Um, I have a, a special anniversary edition. I have the original edition that I bought, and then I also own an edition that I bought to give to someone, but I never did. I don't, however, have. There's a new 10-year, 15-year, oh. I don't know. Anniversary of some kind? A different anniversary than the one I have that's white. Oh, obviously you need to get that to complete your collection. You should just, also get it in Spanish. <laughs> just all the book thieves that there are. Yeah. All of them. I just, yeah, it's just so good. It's just, ugh. That so that reminds me, I've been reading this book called a book of essays called Ex Libris, uh, by I can't remember what the author's name is. I'll probably talk about it next week when I finish it. Uh-huh. But the uh, it's all essays about reading, and one of the essays is about how everybody has like one odd shelf in their house. Where and she's like, mine is just like I have like thirty books about Arctic exploration, and my husband has thirty books about the rainforest. It's just like a secret thing that is weird and random that you're uh-huh. obsessed with that you don't share with anyone. And uh, and then she also talks about maybe it's like maybe you own every copy of J- of a Jane Austen book you've ever seen. You know, like <laughs> this is yours. <laughs> yeah um so no shame no i agree shame this is a game. totally legitimate pitch to be on the list 100 percent. Yes. even though it's not my favorite book um i think i agree that it is it is a uh, worthwhile people should read this before they die yes i i love it readers this is my wholehearted recommendation you're hugging it right now when you say that <laughs> I this, this, is an, this is an <laughs> audio medium so i just want people to know that we should really just post a picture of just my hands holding it to my chest <laughs> As if I'm pressing it. Also, I would like to state that this has literally been on my bedside since the first time we recorded my pitch. And I I haven't read it again yet um, because it's been a really rough couple months. And I maybe I should read it. Maybe I just need to good cry. Um, I was you worried said that, you've been saying you haven't read a book that makes you cry recently. This one does make me cry. There you go. <laughs> um, I was worried that if I started crying, I wouldn't stop. Um, but every time I look at it, like just its mere presence on my bedside table has made me happy. This is why it's important to own some books. Not all the books you read because you only have so much space, but the ones that really matter. Most of the books I buy outside of the podcast ones are books I've already read. And then I've just been like, I need this to like look at on the shelf every day. That's a segment we should do because I wonder if we were to choose our like top 10 books that we would like need on a desert island. They wouldn't necessarily be my top 10 books of all time. They'd be like my top 10 like comfort books. Yeah. Would they be different? Oh, that's good. We'll have to remember this that. This would still be one of them. <laughs> this as one would, would be the same. As would A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, as would Harry Potter. So really, and To Kill a Mockingbird. So really the top so four, four. four out of five. We did top five. You're, you're saying the only one you'd let go is Ender's Game, which is number five. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I feel like, yeah, Harry Potter still for sure. But then I think the others might be different. Yeah, because they might be. I think I would lean more towards books that I read over and over again rather than books I read one time but were impactful. I mean, and I'd pick long ones. And if you're stuck, would you want like the Bible with you? Yeah, I think I'd want the Harry Potter and the Bible, (laughs) you know, in whatever order. And and, and maybe like the Sarah J. Moss books because those are like really readable. I like how how we're selectively choosing series because we can call them one book. Yeah. Someone's going to make a binding of all the Harry Potter. The worst 
part of being on a stand on a desert island is that you don't have enough reading material, right? Not the like survival part. That's fine. You definitely um, don't need those daylight hours to like find food and yeah, and, like, shelter. Try to like reach help in any way. No, you're just gonna like kick back on the beach. <laughs> Yeah. On that note, yeah. where our priorities are clearly in the right place, <laughs> um, we are going to head out. But before we do, we want to remind you to we look We have to at- draw our next book still. Book 19. Oh, I was going to tell them about our social media. We should probably tell you about book first. Okay. All right. So I'm drawing our book 19 is called The River Between. A- I think it's going to be about two opposing forces on opposite sides of a river deep i feel like this is a really stereotypical title like it's just like this book has been like the book with this there'd be multiple books that have this the river runs deep the river runs between us yeah yeah Yeah. the river between you and i like this yeah it's a whole theme so we will look forward to between rivers oh good good. (laughs) we'll look forward to sharing that book with you next week and now tell us about our social media. yes so if you would like to contact us we are available on most social medias on facebook twitter and instagram at a thousand on books pod also on litzy at 1001 books podcast and if you would like to email us you can email us at 1001 books podcast at gmail.com Also, look for some posts about we're going to ask you what books you think should be on the 1001 list to pitch, uh, and we might read some of those. So we'll be posting about that this week. Yes. Um, As always, as you are off on your adventures, we hope you're enjoying a good book. And until we talk to you next time, happy happy reading. Happy reading.